This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. Welcome to Hell Has an Exit with host Brian Elzate. This is episode 89. This is a two-part episode, and this is part one, featuring special guest star Lilo Brancato Jr., the young actor and star of A Bronx Tale, and his incredible journey through addiction to recovery. Please note that due to technical issues, the first 25 minutes of the interview was captured by camera audio. And now let's join Brian and his guest star, Lilo Brancato Jr., for part one. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. So just so you know, Lilo, on this show, I interview a lot of recovering addicts. Um, I'm recovering myself. But the show isn't just about recovery. You know, we do a lot of people. That's how I know Marty. Shout oh, okay. out to Marty Tankless. We've done a lot of wrongful conviction people. We've done uh, Holocaust survivors. So anybody who survived hell qualifies to be on this show. I listened to a couple of your podcasts, and I know that you definitely earned your seat to be here, so congratulations. Thank you. You are coming up on 16 years clean and sober. Yeah, November. Wow, it's badass. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I guess it's something, if you really want it, mm-hmm. I think it can happen. I yeah. think that's the most essential ingredient in recovery. Wouldn't you agree? Of course. Did you ever have, like, close calls since you got clean? You know, I gotta be honest with you, no. no. I don't, like, it's like, I think we're always going to be wired a certain way and have that addictive way about us. But I think, you know, like working out, believe yeah, it or not, of that, course. that yeah. is an addiction for me. For sure. And I fill that void through working out. Mm-hmm. So it's like, whatever I get through that, I don't need anything else. How's your so diet? Do you eat clean? I just started, like, you know, eating. You're pretty ripped. Yeah, you, you know, but. Maybe like a month and a half ago, okay. I, was, I got a little chubby. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, you know, because okay. I, I thought, you know, because I worked out every day and, you know, I was uh, pretty healthy that I could eat whatever I want. But I'm going to be 46. I went, did some blood work. Mm-hmm. And usually, you know, like I'm still, I still do a lot of the same exact things that I did when I was away mm-hmm. because I became so institutionalized and it worked for me. I or did well. Yeah, I did day. well having structure in that controlled environment. And addicts do. Yeah. Yeah. So I implemented it into my, you know, into my normal real life when I got mm-hmm. home, and it worked for me. You know, I stayed clean to this day. I'm still clean. But you know, I think you know because I was working out the way I was. I thought that I could eat, you know. But I, I'm very excessive. Mm-hmm. Like when we did drugs, we, you know, we yeah. were very excessive about everything. That's just the way we're mm-hmm. wired. And that's the same way I was with like eating cake and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would overeat and overwork out. So and then compensate for the bad eating and then binge and yeah. Yeah, and then I went for blood work and my doctor said, he said, says it's not bad, he said, but your sugar went up. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
because that's yeah. dangerous. Yeah. I don't want diabetes. Mm -hmm. So once yeah, I heard that. for 46, bro. Yeah, thank you, bro. Wow. Thank you. So, you know, that was like the wake-up call that I needed. Mm -hmm. I recognized the sign loud and clear. Yeah. Your sugar went up. So now I haven't really eaten sugar you since You run then. a lot? Every single day. Oh, so you're running. Oh, what? It's like, it's like my heart has to beat. I have to <laughs> run every day. Yeah, I ran, uh, I ran a couple miles today. I ran four yesterday, but in the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing like 10, 7, 8 miles a lot, and then I did a marathon. You run a lot? Like, how far? Usually, well, I, I do treadmill. I like the treadmill mm -hmm. because during Lovely the pandemic, pack. well, yeah, well, no, 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 but I, I do high impact. Like, I put it on, you know, oh, yeah. inclines, gotcha. I do all kinds okay. of, I do a 36, six minute warm up, and then 36 minutes of straight running. Wow. And then my then I'll stop, you know, mm -hmm. you know, get some water and you know, and then start up again and then I'll do thirty minutes of high intensity interval training. <laughs> After the thirty-six minutes of you know burning, you know, carbs and mm -hmm. sugars and stuff like that. But I like the uh, the treadmill better. I just think it's a well it's lower impact on your body. On your body, yeah, that's fine. You know, like you know, plantar fasciitis yeah. I got that in my foot wow. from running on the street because all the mm -hmm. gyms, everything was closed. Yeah. So I was like running in the street every day. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have you like if you're running in the street, you need to spend money on good sneakers. Yeah. Seriously, you will ruin mm -hmm. your whole body because if they don't have the support, it's like a domino effect. Yeah. Because first you'll ruin your foot, mm -hmm. and then because your foot is ruined, and you know what I mean, if you're running a certain Yeah, then then, then, your, then your, yeah, your whole yeah. your, your spine and then everything gets thrown off. Yeah, I went to like a, a specialist and she was telling my running shoes were too small. Because I I'm normally a size ten. She was like, When you run your feet expand and I was getting pain in my foot and she was like, You gotta go half yeah. a size more and now it's totally changed the game for me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's everything, mm -hmm. you know? And I love it and I'm so glad that I'm able to use it to fill the void. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like whatever it is that causes to be born that way. I know. It is what it is. We accept the things, mm -hmm. right? We cannot change. That's what it is. We accept what we are, mm -hmm. and we try to make the best of it. Just you know. Yeah, what I mean? and for me, it's like living a very disciplined life is easier than living a kind of disciplined life. So it's like all or nothing. Yeah. So it's like I'm either working out and in good, great shape, or I'm gonna be fat, 300 pounds on the couch. There's no like in between. So in the same way. That's so that's, it's like that's, when you're an addict. Yeah. It's kind of like you know you either live one way or you live the other way. And even with working out, it's like some people can have multiple cheat meals a month or whatever. But like, dude, I have a cheat meal turns into a cheat day. And then a week. And then I'll start the beginning of yeah. a month. Mm -hmm. Now, you know what, when it comes to that diet discipline, I have that. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I'm very disciplined in so many ways, mm -hmm. but then when it came to drugs, mm -hmm. it's like as much as I, I could amaze myself in certain areas and like, damn, like I even give myself a pat on the back. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, that was a really good job. Like you had all that food in front of you, yeah, you all that Italian that. food and all these people, like, but you still didn't eat it. And uh -huh. you stood strong and you know, now you're going to sleep and you didn't put all that food mm -hmm. in you. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. But with addiction, like with drug addiction, all we the, want it. All we, the we want it, right? That's why it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. Mm -hmm. It baffles us. Like, I want this just as bad as I want to be ripped. Yeah. And that discipline that I had for not giving into all that food, mm -hmm. why doesn't it why isn't it transferred in this as well? Mm -hmm. That's what was crazy about it. Yeah, because you know It gets scary, like wow. Well, a lot of times, you know, like obviously in the Bronx, still like the worst thing is wasted talent. And I remember my family being like, I don't understand. You're so smart. You do great in school. You're, you're charismatic. You have all these other things going for you, but you can't put the fucking drugs down. And I remember 
being just as confused. Like, I know, like, I, I, I understand because there was a time where I had excuses and then eventually, like, I didn't even have an excuse. I knew what I was doing was dumb as fucking crazy. I think the thing that makes addiction addiction is that it defies logic. It defies, like, being rational. Because once you do a learning and baffling, of course, that's why that's where we're baffled. Mm -hmm. How when I do everything else right, if somebody told me I can never have steak or orange juice again, You'd be fine. who cares? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But then it's like certain things like as much as, you know, dedication and focus we put into accomplishing certain things. It just doesn't translate mm -hmm. the same way with that. It's like there's that block. Mm -hmm. It's like your soul almost blocks it mm -hmm. because it's like. It's right, like, you know, like, they say it's a disease, I don't necessarily believe that. Mm -hmm. I think that hinders people, and I think that hurts people trying to get better. Because subconsciously, so your subconscious is very powerful, your mm -hmm. subconscious mind is very powerful. We do so many things we don't even realize we're doing, but we do them for a reason. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I just think that if they're telling you that you're sick and you have a disease, mm -hmm. you'll always lean on that. Like, they'll understand. Of course. They'll yeah. understand, they know I'm mm -hmm. sick, they know I got a disease. Which, me personally, I don't know if I believe that. Mm -hmm. you know? So you think more it's more like a personality behavior that you just stop doing? I just think it's something we, we all have spirit and inside I'm not, us. I'm not like judging. I'm just, no, 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 no. I just think like, you know, like I think we all have a spirit inside us. Mm -hmm. And I just think spiritually something's wrong mm -hmm. when we reach out for stuff like that to fill whatever hole. Of course. And when there's something wrong with the spirit, but when we fix mm -hmm. the spirit, We'll use, we'll reach out for different things. Of course. To fill that. So, just my take on it, obviously, like, I'm a 12-step program guy. Like, when we say it's a disease, when I first got clean, I thought it was the same thing. Like, oh, well, people are just using it as a crutch, an excuse. Oh, it wasn't me. It was my disease. But the real context of that is that it's physical, spiritual, and mental. It's definitely three-part. I did a, a video three, on that. It's a three-part thing. You know, someone said it's a dis-ease. Right. So, maybe not, like, a disease, if you don't want to think of it that way. But there's something about myself that I just want to do something to make myself feel that feeling. You know, ever want to do something, you don't even know what it is, you just want to do, you just want to do something outside of yourself? Right. That's really what addiction is to me, is that feeling of like, I don't feel comfortable in my own skin. And now when I admit that I'm an addict, I'm not like surrendering to the disease. I surrender to, you know, trying to do something different with my life and taking accountability. And, you know, I know you've taken a lot of accountability for what has happened over the past years. And I've listened to a couple of podcasts that you've done. And it's really commendable to see that, you know, there's not like a victim mentality that you're like, hey, look, I did what I did. And like, I'm overcoming those things. I'm changing my life and I'm dedicating my life to help change other people, you know. And when I do like a lot of like the, the, the wrongful conviction guys, I always ask them, like, how come you're not angry or bitter? And they're always like, man, if I was angry or bitter, would you have me on the podcast? And I remember thinking, like, well, that's pretty cool. And not just that, like, I believe God had other plans for them. Because they, what, what do those guys do? Man, they dedicate their whole life to helping other people get out. Well, they're speaking from a very, very authentic place. Mm -hmm. Just because it's not like somebody that, you know, studied law or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinks that that's the right thing to do and they'll fulfill them. And, you know, intrinsically, you'll give them value and make them feel good about themselves. No, this is someone who's actually you know, live that blood, sweat, and tears. And mm -hmm. that, it knows exactly what that other person is going yeah. through. And really the only person that can do that, that can really help them the mm -hmm. way they need to be helped. 
course. that can empathize and with the same thing with you know, the on it's that like, level. Bro, if you ain't never smoked crack, like, I'm not trying to hear it from you, bro. Go smoke that shit for 90 days and then call me and tell yeah. me how easy it is to put down. Motherfuckers can't even put coffee down, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like... That's what I say all the time. You can't stop smoking cigarettes. Cigarettes, yeah. And you're talking about me? You're passing uh -huh. judgment on me? Yeah. That I used to smoke crack in the early yeah. 2000s? I'm like, bro, you still smoke cigarettes. I went exactly. away for eight years. And you smoke more now than you did back then. And yeah. you want to talk about me? Or losing weight. You got people that can't lose 30 pounds for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, stick with a diet. I believe that addicts are super natural human beings that are like extraordinary. And there's something special about us. And that's why we're drawn to drugs because it is something that takes up all that mental capacity. Because when you're using, it's 24 seven nonstop. And a lot of times we don't have something as kids or we forget about it, like baseball or like, you know, some type of sport that we play or something we're good at as a kid. And the drugs allow us to maximize all that power and energy that we have, you know? I just think yeah, it, that could be the case at a certain point in your life when you mm -hmm. haven't learned to find other things to get that same fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Like people like, you know, how you asked me a little while ago, do I still struggle? Do you have those moments? No, that's mm -hmm. been erased. That's yeah. been wiped away. I just know better now. That's mm -hmm. why I'm like, ah, I don't know if it's what they really say it is. Yeah. Because I don't think like that. And I've allowed myself mm -hmm. to heal from that kind of way of thinking to where it's like, I know that's, ne I'm telling you, that mm -hmm. will never happen again. I will never go back to that. Mm -hmm. Because I've learned, like in the prefrontal cortex part of the brain, mm -hmm. like initially like we are addicts because there's less brain activity when exposed to drugs. For sure. But I just think like as time goes on, it's like a muscle. Yeah, and if you flex it, right, for sure. if you flex it, like, mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning, because we're so impulsive and we're mm -hmm. wired in a way to where there's no like rational thinking and we just go and just pick up and start getting high. I think that as time goes on and you learn to say no, and then based on that saying no, now you see the results. Now you come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. And now you see like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. Because usually you're like, you're yeah, the first time you one, yeah, yeah, one drink, you're smoking yeah. crack. The next day is going to be all fucked up. It's I don't like care having what a boxing of... coach and you finally get a hit in. Right. And you start to realize like, oh, my God, I, I could actually do something here. Like, right. I'm not powerless. You know, I have an ability to change what's going on. And every time you do and that, you do and that, you get that positive reinforcement. More like, dude, it's a beautiful Sunday. Look, man, I just got up, and I'm not whacked out of my yeah. mind. I didn't take 20 Xanax to come <laughs> off the crack or snort dope yeah. just to be able to, like, be normal again. Mm -hmm. I'm normal. Well, that's I could go to Denny's if I want. You know what I mean? After a while, drug use, it's like I was just using to, like, wake up and get out of bed. You know, no, I wasn't even using to get high. I was just trying to function, you of know? Of course. Yeah, no. That's what it becomes, and uh, I commend you as well. I congratulate you, you know what I mean? This is not something, you know, like when people say, I know we say in the rooms and everything, one day at a time. I think one day is too long. How much, you know how much can happen? You can relapse three, you can relapse and get clean three times in one day. For sure. I say one hour at a time, right or wrong, from one hour to the next. For sure. My first year clean, I, I wanted to use every single day. It was minute to minute. I've been in the parking lot wondering if I'm gonna get drugs for hours. I've cried praying. My first year clean wasn't like, you know, a walk in the park, you know, I was thinking about what am I going to do when I turn 21, everyone else is living this amazing life, and I'm over here stuck to going to these boring ass meetings with these old ass guys. That's a blessing in a way though too. Well, I realized that that first year made me, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it challenged me to a way that I've never been challenged before, and once I came out that other side, I started to get so much confidence because whenever I would do something, I would just look around and be like, bro, these motherfuckers didn't go through what I went through, you know, and I started to feel like, you know, if I could come out that other side, I could do whatever You know I what want. though? 
I think for me, like, sometimes I think what you just said, mm-hmm. these motherfuckers ain't been through what I've been through. <laughs> Maybe that hurts us a little bit. Of course. You know why? Because when you think like that and you think like, this motherfucker ain't been one through what I've been through, it's like mm-hmm. you almost expect more of people and mm-hmm. you get let down more because you're leaving the benchmark of what you did on them. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, you know, they're not going to measure up sometimes. You know, you're thinking like this guy, and now what happens? You get disappointed. Yeah. And like in that person. Some people might not think what I'm doing is like a big deal. And to them, it's just taking a college class. But to me, it's like there was a time where going to college wasn't even in the cards. I didn't even think it was possible. So it means more to me. And sometimes things aren't as important to other people, you know? Right. Even just being their word. Just want to say, Bronx Tale, one of the best fucking movies to go down history. Thank you. You know, I'm sure it uh, impacted cinematography till the end of time. You know, it's a real honor to be here with you. You get recognized a lot? Yeah, believe it or not, even with the new haircut. I still <laughs> fucking love that movie. <laughs> September 2023, the film's going to be 30 years old. Wow. 30 years old. I saw the play, too. The play is phenomenal. Yeah, I didn't see the play. Yeah, I didn't good. see the play. Good. The uh, one-man show, I mean, the musical and mm-hmm. the one-man show, I heard both were fantastic. Yeah. What was it about A Bronx Tale that um, had impacted you the most now? You mean today? Some, today. Something that happened? Do you mean in the, the message in the film itself, or do you mean in Actually the, doing the it. overall the experience? overall doing it. Because a part of me has got to think that, you know, it's been so many years that I gotta wonder, like, do you get tired of people asking you about the film? Do you feel like, you know, hey, look, that was a long time ago? Or is there something about you that still feels like you love talking about it and like it's... I do love talking about it just because it's like it was such a beautiful experience for me Mm -hmm. that I just want to share others Mm -hmm. to remind them that, you know, dreams do come true and that life is beautiful. And it it can be beautiful Mm -hmm. and just know that this kind of stuff can happen because I have a whole mind. I was on the beach. And just how that happened to me, that can happen. It inspires them and gives people hope like, Mm -hmm. you know what? Who knows, maybe one day I'll, you know, I'll be at somewhere yeah, I'm in a waiting, coffee I'm shop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like, people like to hear stories like that. I think it encourages them yeah. to just want to be a good person. And who knows, maybe this will happen to me one day. Yeah. Or maybe not this exact thing, but something similar. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. So I mean, you, were, you were on the beach. Yeah. Scout found you, said he think you or your brother, right? Right. And my brother called me out of the water. Once he saw me, he automatically saw, like, you know, wow, this guy looks just like him. Mm-hmm. Wanted me to come in to read. I did. Uh, loved my first tape. I went down to New York City, Tribeca, where De Niro had his, uh, mm-hmm. his uh, you know, production office and, you know, the Tribeca films. I was there, and there was a lot of kids, and I would get a callback and a callback. And as I went there every day, there was mm-hmm. less and less kids. And then finally, I was invited there for a screen test where they actually put you on film. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that the kid who shot Sonny in the film was like the other consideration gotcha. for my character. So it was like, like he sprung that out and be like, oh wow, this guy's here too for that. Mm-hmm. I thought by that point, cause it was like a while, it was like a month every day until it was just me and no one. You How know, many months of casting was it? Month, month and a half before I got, you know what I mean? As a kid, did you have like high hopes or were you, were you pretty self-aware where you were like, hey, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Or were you like, I'm getting it. I just want to know. You know, I got to be honest with you. I don't mean to sound arrogant or anything. I knew there was no one's going to take that wow. point from me. That's cool. Because I always thought, like, when I first heard about it, I thought to myself, That's like, me. Yeah. If, <laughs> if, if I ever read for that part, I would get it. Mm-hmm. And then once they found me on the beach, and my friend Sal, he was there that day. Mm-hmm. My friend Sal Renzo, he was there that day. He said, as soon as that guy found you on the beach, he said, I knew you were going to get that part. Wow. It was meant for me because, listen, the character's name is Calogero. My father came from a little town in Sicily. Mm-hmm. It was the province of Agrigento. The little town, little village mm-hmm. was called Naro. 
and all these little uh, towns in Italy. Kind of saints, right? Saints, right. Yeah. And that one's for San Galo. San, my father went to a reform school mm-hmm. named San Galo Gero. So that name, like to like your average person, like, from like your- where did that name come from? For me, that name, I've been hearing that since I was a kid. Wow. And we have, I have cousins with that name. Mm-hmm. I have cousins with that name. So it's like, it was well, your name is kind of like an adaptation. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Your real name. Lilo comes from Calogero. Wow. It's a diminutive, I think that's the word. So you're 100% Sicilian? Well, I was adopted when I was four months old. I was wow. coming from Bogota. What? Yeah, yeah, I was adopted. I'm my, you know, like my Wait, name was Saul. Really? Right. My name at birth was Saul Rodriguez. But is your birth parents Colombian? Yeah. What? But then my adopted parents are Italian. Wow. My mother was Cal- my mother is Calabrese. My dad was Sicilian. Ye- yesterday was four years he passed away. Rest wow, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Oh my god. Were so, you guys close? Oh yeah, very close. Did he live in Sicily? Yeah, when he was yeah, when he was a kid. Wow. He even went to Germany as a kid because there was no work in Sicily. Wow. Because Germany was a booming yeah. economy. I used to read all the Mario Puzo books and I used to read all Oh, they had the Sicilian. Yeah, the Sicilian. Yeah, you know that Godfather is such big shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. That I think they had really high hopes for the Sicilian, and it didn't turn out that well. Yeah, I didn't even know they made a movie. They yeah, they did. Oh, really? Yeah, do you remember the guy who played Tarzan? Yeah, yeah. Legend of the Great Stoke? Mm-hmm. That actor, he plays the Sicilian. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't that good. Wow. It wasn't that good. Yeah, I also used to read uh, Lorenzo Cacatera. Oh, yeah, Sleepers. Yeah. Sleepers, yeah, I read The Gangster, all of his yeah, books. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, as a kid, you know, I'm reading these books or whatever, and then, like, obviously, like, a Bronx Tale and all these other movies that, as a child, you like look up to all these gangster movies and stuff like that. You want a couple, you like those kind of books? Yeah. I'll recommend a couple of them. Like, sure, sure. The I read a lot. Like you like organized crime type Yeah, yeah. There's The Murder Machine. Mm-hmm. It's about the Roy DeMeo crew. Okay. And then you have And it's a true crime? Or oh, yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it was written by Gene Mustaine and Jerry Capisi. Mm-hmm. And then The Westies, mm-hmm. which was the Irish mob in Hell's Kitchen in New York wow. City. It was written by a guy named T.J. English, mm-hmm. and he also wrote a book called Havana Nocturne. Talks about when the you know the mob was in Havana, mm-hmm. you know, in Cuba and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And then the whole revolution, the Castros came in, Che yeah. Guevara told him get out. You know, like I read that book, and do you know what Raúl Castro said to Meyer Lansky? Mm-hmm. He's like Meyer Lansky's like Meyer Lansky. Yeah. He was a, a mathematical genius. A gangster, I mean, this guy mm-hmm. was like a legend, legend, you know, taught even the Italians so much. Yeah. He was so smart, taught the Italians so much about gambling and loan, you know, all that kind Lone of stuff. Sharks, yeah, yeah, he was like, yeah. he was a real genius. All the rackets. Yeah, Maya Lansky was a very, very valuable guy to organize crime and its inception. Mm-hmm. He was a genius. But Raul Castro, after they came in and took over Cuba, mm-hmm. and because of the, the president at that time was a guy, a man named Fulgencio Batista. And he was like, the mob loved him because wow. they were able to do whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. Gave him a few, you know what I mean, a little payoff in that country. They ran that country at that time. But then the communists came in and told him, get out. Raul Castro told Maya Lansky, mm-hmm. he told him, he says, if you behave yourself, we'll let you stay. He literally <laughs> told Maya Lansky, if you behave yourself, we will let you stay. Let you stay. Wow. Probably one of the most powerful gangsters in the world. Ever. Raul, yeah, ever. Raul Castro told him, if you behave yourself, we'll let you stay. That's okay. crazy. You gotta give it to them. I mean, listen, whatever it is, it is, but they were strong. I mean, you know, whoever was hurt and, you know, my heart and prayers and, you know, I know communism is not, mm-hmm. you know, really the way you wanna live and be yeah, controlled. When they did come in and, and just take over the country, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, crazy. amazing. Yeah, it was crazy. 
So they fought, you know, yeah, they fought absolutely. real hard. Were you always into mafia crime stuff, or kind of that happened as you got older? No, I liked it. You know, I liked yeah, those films. Fair. Like, yeah, you were like 14, 15 during the film, right? No, I was fifteen, gonna be sixteen. Fifteen, gonna be sixteen. The actual when we were actually filming, I was sixteen already. Okay, cool. But they found me in July, nineteen sixteen, in August. Okay. July 5th, they found me, August 30th, I turned gotcha. 16. Mm -hmm. So I was like, not even two months, then mm -hmm. I was still 15, and then I... How did it feel going through high school knowing that you were like a superstar? That well, I didn't really go back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now what happened was like, because I completed ninth grade, and it was in the summer, because 10th grade, I went back to Sacred Heart. And they didn't even want me back. Really? For sophomore year. But like, my dad had to beg them. And literally, they threw me out September 26th. I was just bad. I was a bad kid. And then my mm -hmm. friend Paul, they had us in, sitting next to his last name is Agostino on Broncado. Mm -hmm. So they had us sitting next to each other in every class. We caused trouble in every single class. We didn't even last a month. Mm -hmm. I got thrown out. He got to stay, but he got suspended. So then I went to another school that I got thrown out because, like, other reasons with mm -hmm. the dresses and not, you know, living there. Because, <laughs> you know, my parents wanted the best for me. They didn't want yeah. to send me to Ox public schools. They were, you know, getting bad at the time. That year was finished, that summer, mm -hmm. going into 11th grade is when they found me. So then after we did the Bronx, they found me in the summer, like I said, July 5th. We shot the movie, you know, I got the part. We shot the movie starting at the end of August. The movie went all of the fall months, September, October, November, December, Christmas. We stopped for like a, a ball of January mm -hmm. and we came back February to do some pickup shots. So we did that. I went back to school after that, I went mm -hmm. back to Roosevelt High School. I went there and it's like, after what I just experienced, it kind of, it's kind of hard. Yeah, to go back to regular life. Yeah, not to say it was better, but it's just like, even as a young kid, because it just happened so organically and mm -hmm. it just happened, that you almost feel entitled. It's real hard for something like that not to go to your head. Mm -hmm. Just your mere presence, when people see you and they know what you're involved in, they automatically gravitate towards you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So after like experiencing that, it kind of changes the way you look at things and it's, it goes to your head. Of you course, know? yeah. And especially being young, but like even older people, you know, they get a bit of that fame and fortune and, you know, they forget, you know, what's really important. If you could say something to your younger self right after you got that role, what do you think you would say? Slow and steady wins the race. Don't try, you know, like listen, already what you're doing is gonna cause you and make you grow up faster than someone else your age. Mm -hmm. Keep your feet on the ground and try to do age appropriate things. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do things that you know, you know, because it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's gonna happen, so just slow down and just enjoy life. Like, you know, I didn't even go to my high school prom and stuff like that. I should've did that. Mm -hmm. I should've did that stuff. It could've maybe helped me stay on the right path. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course, and I think that, um, you know, even for myself, like I didn't go to my prom and I was clean. And it's like, I used to just uh, sort a lot of that stuff, so like kids stuff and like stupid shit. And now that I'm an adult, I kind of see how like I missed out on so much of what being a kid was. Do you like feel that way that you missed out on a lot of your childhood? Yeah, like the prom was one very big thing, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because I just felt like it just came and went because I was doing other things and I didn't realize how special and sacred it would be years later mm -hmm. until years later when I'm like, Damn, the things that I was missed that to do, mm -hmm. I can do right now, but now that I can't do again. Mm -hmm. For me, it's if... almost like the mentality that my mentality then was like, nah, that's corny. And it's like now, like I try to embrace being myself and 
you know, not taking things so seriously. And I don't know, it's like as a kid, it makes me sad because like when I look at like my childhood pictures, I don't smile at any of them. Like I was too cool to smile. Have you ever done a therapy since getting out? Or anything like that? No, I haven't really. No. no. Wow. That stuff helps. Of course. You get to the root of what's going on. You're like, oh my God, it was that all along. And, and I didn't never even know that that's what was bothering me. They don't have that in, in prisons at all. Nah. Not really, right? Well, they have, they had like ASAT, which was alcohol and substance abuse mm -hmm. treatment, drug counselors that we had. Mm -hmm. One lady that was there, she never really got high at all. All she wanted to do was write tickets. Mm -hmm. She's more about being condescending and being in control. Because, yeah. you know, talk to us like we're pieces of shit. And then, yeah, like, yeah, like, you know, like, yeah, like, you are what you are. You're here for a reason. And I'm going to remind you of that every, every time, <laughs> we, you know. And yeah, this other guy, he was like, yeah, I think he said he smoked pot once in college. Mm -hmm. And you guys, like, we're here, like, doing decades in jail because of the crazy things we did on drugs. And you're talking about smoking pot once in college, mm -hmm. and you think you're gonna be re you're gonna be able to relate to me in a way which is gonna be you know so profound that it's gonna change my life mm -hmm. and give me the tools that I need when I get out of here. Exactly. It's bullshit. So I saw that you jumped out of a moving car. Yeah. Sixty miles an hour. Something like that. Yeah. Paranoid. You, did you get like that? Yeah, of course, dude. Not, I mean, well, but you know, not everybody gets like that. So the first time I smoked crack, I was 14 years old, and I used to smoke crack in, you know, a crack house. And the guy who put me onto it, I couldn't tell the difference from when he was smoking crack and smoking a cigarette. Right. He was just totally normal. I would be like, you, you know, close you know, the blinds, people are out there. And he would laugh and go outside. And he'd walk outside and be like, nobody's out here. The, what we experienced was the psychosis part. Yeah. And I think, like, some people get paranoid smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Back when I used to smoke, like, I never got paranoid like that. On weed. Yeah, but maybe that was good that we got like that. Because, <laughs> it because makes it I, so horrible, yeah. Yeah, it makes it so horrible. Once you take that one hit, you're sweating. And you're, I would get so scared that it would feel as if I was in a war zone and there was bullets coming and just whizzing by me. And that level of, like, paranoia, paranoia and, fear. and fear and your whole body is just tensed up. And then a dog would bark across the street and I would, like, Yeah, yeah, out, dude, I, I went through all that. Yeah. I tell this story all the time. One time my friend went in the bathroom. We were in this, like, my friend's mother's basement apartment. Mm -hmm. This was, like, in the 90s. And we were out all night at the China Club. And then, you know, we went back to his house. We had these couple of girls that were from the neighborhood. They were sniffing coke, too. But they, they're, like, normal dudes. Like, they could sniff it and, like... Have stuff left yeah. over. Yeah. Like, yeah, I got some I'll in the closet. I'll save it for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. How does that happen, right? So me and my friend Jimmy, mm -hmm. we used to call him Aruba. He died in 2009 when I was away. Of an overdose? Yeah, well, not from crack. He died overdose from dope. Yeah. Our friend Eddie found him in the bathroom, blue, with a needle wow. in his arm, naked. What percentage of your childhood became, you know, heroin acts of your group friends? Not a, you know, I got to be able to, a lot of the guys that I directly grew, grew up, up with, with they really didn't take that path. Mm-hmm. Because I guess me, like, I deviated from that with doing movies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So that it was, was more, more open-minded so to it. So it's more of the people that you met after a Bronx Tale. Yeah, plus my personality. Yeah, you it gravitated towards Right, it was guys. a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. So now we're at this, you know, at my, my friend Anthony's mother's basement apartment. Mm -hmm. He's over there playing cards with another guy we know and the two girls. And they're, like, playing poker. And we got home from the China Club at, like, 4.30 in the morning, you know, whatever. But we're still there because, you know, there's coke and, mm -hmm. you know. And me and my friend Jimmy, we get paranoid. So, like, he's on one side of the apartment, like, looking in the, <laughs> in the, the cabinets. Side. I'm on the other side on my knees looking under the couch. And this has went on so many times in front of them. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's normal. 
Like, yeah, yeah, those guys, yeah, don't worry. They always do that. And I always thought this would be a great scene for a movie. (laughs) This is the ultimate power. Like, this would be like, could be like the teaser in the beginning. And this is a little basement apartment. So I'm like, I know, I just want to tell my friend Anthony, I would just want to ask, where's Jimmy? And he's like, like, and then he looked at me. He's like, what do you mean, where's Jimmy? What do you think? This is a castle? He goes, there's two rooms in the whole place. (laughs) He's He's in the Renner, he's in the bathroom, right? Uh So I was like, oh, the bathroom, you know? So I go there, start knocking on the door, doors locked, Mm -hmm. knock. And he's just like me. He was even worse with the paranoia. Crazy. He was already getting paranoid when I didn't get there yet. Because oh, I didn't yeah. get like that for a while. It didn't happen in the beginning. I would get paranoid on the way to get it. Oh, yeah. that's. I'd be looking in the rear view on the way there. Yeah, well, that's a different paranoia. <laughs> that's you actually yeah. got a reason. So now I knock on the door, no answer. Knock on the door, no answer. Knock on the door, no answer. And I'm like, yo, what mm-hmm. happened to this guy? I got on my knees to look through the crack of the door. And I tell you, he's paranoid he like me. opened it? No! He was looking at me from the other oh side. Oh, my God. <laughs> All I seen when I went down there was his eye, and I could feel and his breath, breath and yeah. hear it. Because <sighs> he was a big guy. Yeah. He was a big, fat guy, mm-hmm. and he smoked crack. <laughs> he used to breathe like that, standing still, doing nothing. <laughs> so on crack, he's probably Yo, really, forget it. Like he ran He was miles. almost blowing the door down. His oh breath was so hard. So I felt the breath, the warmth, and his eye, and I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, and I jumped back. It wasn't funny then. Like, I literally had to, like, gather myself and, like, walk away and, like, did I just see that? (laughs) You know what I mean? That craziness. But once you sober up, I went home, you know, I slept Mm -hmm. it off. And I didn't get home till, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Because we went, they were sniffing coke. We went and met guys and got Mm -hmm. crack. We took it to the next level like we always did. How old were you when you first smoked crack? Believe it or not, I smoked. No, man. I smoked. I don't think I've ever said this. I'm going to tell you something I don't think Mm -hmm. I've ever said. I think the first time I smoked crack was at 17 when I was when I was doing wow. freaking Renaissance, man. Wow. Yeah, you know, you know what did, happened? But did it bite you then? Yeah, I was like, wow, this stuff oh is so... Oh, my God. You know what happened was? Because, like, Renaissance, man, obviously, you know the movie. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, we had it was in the army and all that. When I used to go down weekends, like, I used to hang out with the, all, like, the extras and stuff, like guys that were in our platoon <laughs> that would fill up all the... You know what I mean? Yeah. So I remember I was hanging out with these, these dudes, and there was this one kid. His name was Antonio. He was like a mini-me of Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. He was like a little Mike Tyson. He was just sweet as he was a sweetheart, though. He was mm-hmm. a good guy. He was like my friend. He was my boy. We went to this, like it was Columbia, South Carolina, and there was like the downtown area. It was called Five Points or something mm-hmm. like that. So we went to a house party first. And I remember like I was, you know, drinking beer and smoking pot. So like after doing so much of that, you get like tired. And then we went out to like all the bars and it was like this parking lot where we were. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go, but they wanted me to come because like Bronx Tale was in the theater yeah. and they wanted me with them. The like, yo, yeah, 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 come on, bro, come on, come on, come on. He was like, yo, he's like, I got something in the trunk. He's like, maybe it'll wake you up, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, I said, you're like, Antonio? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, what is it, right? So he opens up the, the trunk and he's got like his little, like little kid, kid over there. Yeah. Yo, he's got a Centrum vitamin bottle. Okay. Okay. There's no top. He's got the aluminum foil with the holes. He's got like a big pen, but just the white part. Put through. Through the thing. Okay. Okay. And he's got a little carb on the so side. So he made a little right? pipe. Yeah. Then he's like goes in his little stash and he starts pulling out these like little white rocks. Mm-hmm. So he took a blast, right? And I remember looking at his face and just the way like, it's like, you know, like you do like the switch, like when you put the high beams on, mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. boom. When he yeah. blew out the smoke, <laughs> boom, the high beams went right on. You know what I mean? He's like. He was a dude that I've come to know being on the set with him and just like hanging out, you mm-hmm. know, recreationally, his professional man, you know, like this and that. But this side of him, the You've high never beams, seen before. I never seen before. And I knew this is out of character for this guy. But like it kind of intrigued me and it's it was very seductive. Mm-hmm. 
because I could see he was like, it turned him into like a very generous person. Like, yeah, my boy. And he was like, you know, like, I love you, bro. Mm -hmm. I just want that. And I was like, wow, this guy's like, seems so gracious and happy right now. Wow. And I was like, wow, that looks pretty cool, you know? And he was like, you want? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I remember taking that hit and blowing it out. The longer you do it, the less it lasts. Mm -hmm. But that first time, it lasted like 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, that first hit, right? you hold it in. You're, you're wah, 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 sound. Yeah. This is a public service <laughs> announcement. <laughs> You got your own public service. Someone's and talking to you, and it sounds like it's through these headphones yeah, yeah, mixed yeah. up. No. <laughs> and you know what that's doing, all that noise? You know how they say pain is weakness leaving the body? Mm -hmm. that's, that's You know what that is? That's the devil drilling a yeah. hole into your soul yeah. and saying, let me get that. How yeah. good does that feel? Uh, uh, let me get, stop it. Let me get that. Mm -hmm. And now he's got you, right? It imprints that memory in your brain. I used to always say that when I heard that first bell ringing, it was like the flush of a toilet, and that was my life going down there. Yeah. Because the first time I smoked crack, I didn't think of anything else. Till today, when I have drug dreams, it's crack. Yeah. And I'm an opiate addict. Like, I love opiates, but there's something satanic and evil about crack that makes you feel subhuman that till today, like— And you'll do subhuman things to attain of, it. Of course. In my opinion, I think it's the craziest thing to be addicted to. Even more than meth. Yeah. Because meth lasts. Mm -hmm. You could take a hit of meth and be tweaked out for two days. Beaming, yeah. Crack, you'll be tweaked out for about five minutes. Not even. Not even. Yeah, 30 seconds. Yeah, 30, 40 yeah, seconds. 30 seconds. And it takes yeah. you to the sky. Mm -hmm. And then like $2,000 later, three days later, you still didn't shower. Mm -hmm. You're driving around. My whole glove, my whole friggin' dash is in pieces. I'm hiding yeah, shit. Your body feels like a crack pipe. It just feels like your body becomes paraphernalia. Yeah, you know, and, then, I remember and you throat. smoke yourself straight. Yeah. To the point where you're normal again. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get yourself high again. It's like, you don't even remember what day it was. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's satanic. Mm -hmm. That's the word you... See, it, like feels, it feels evil. It's the only drug that I've done that doesn't feel like it's from this planet. It, the psychosis that it did to my brain... I think it permanently damaged it. You know? Of course it does, bro. <laughs> you know but I mean? all that paranoia? Yeah. Now I get nuts if somebody don't text me back in five minutes. Because <laughs> I'm paranoid that they're thinking something's wrong with me mm -hmm. or something. Or like, fuck this dude. I'm, mm -hmm. Let me I'll let him wait. When this yeah. is all those nights of thinking like my own friend over there is looking at me like he wants to kill me. Mm -hmm. Of course, that changes the wiring in your brain. Of course. You know and, what I'm saying? And because, you know, we were both young. So I do think that, you know, when you're young, you know, your brain is a sponge and it's like, imagine doing all that shit at a young age. It definitely puts grooves in the way that you think. And I didn't stop till I was 29, 30. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So for me, yeah. I was still doing it into my adult life. So when you, you know what I'm saying? Where I, I wasn't as much of a sponge to where this course. stuff is like going to stay now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I tell people all the time. It's like, dude. There are people that are good at baseball, and they only played for a couple of years as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> but those couple of years are fucking with you. So it's like, imagine, you know, you use from, you know, basically 17 to 29. I would say, yeah, 17, 16, 17 to 29. Exactly. So and it's like, to break that, you know, is, is very commendable. Well, you know, to also like the lifestyle that went along with it. Yeah, which is probably more addicting than the drug. Right. That's why. I used to look at people who had jobs like <laughs> loser. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, those parties and all the things yeah. you've experienced because of mixing with that crowd. Mm -hmm. That's part of the, the you know, the allure, yeah. the seduction, like shit. Now I can't use drugs. I shouldn't really be around people like that anymore. Mm -hmm. So all that goes. What are we going to do at a party right now? If anybody, if, if there's a party right now. Where that stuff is going on. What are you and I going to go do at one of these parties? Exactly. Right? Sit on our farm. I'm going to sit on 
my phone and watch Canelo Triple G highlights <laughs> from the first two fights and see yeah. how Triple G got robbed twice. <laughs> <laughs> twice, not once. He got robbed. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the thing <laughs> is that when you get clean, you kind of feel like your life is over and you're not going to have any fun. And, like, you know, I talk to people all the time that are getting clean at 30. I'm like, bro, you're 30. You know what I mean? Like, what party are you talking about, bro? Go start a family. Yeah. You know, go to work. Yeah. You know, fucking save some money. Buy a house. Like, dude, like, the party's over, bro. It's got to be, well, it's not the party's over, but it's got to be a different kind of party now. Of course. It's of a course. party. It's a part. It's, you know, this is the kind of party is what it, it has evolved mm -hmm. to. You know, this is what's age appropriate now. You know, after 30 years old, you're right. You should be settling down or looking to settle down if that's what you want. But it's like you like. can't say you're experimenting and having fun anymore. You no. know what I mean? It's like maybe in your early 20s, you're going to college, whatever. You want to do some blow. If you're in your 30s doing coke on the weekends, like you have a coke problem. Right. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like let's get honest. So yeah. um, when you jumped out of that car, you were in the car so paranoid that you thought your friends were going to kill you. Yeah. And you jumped out yeah. 60 miles an hour. Yeah. I still got the scar. I don't know if you could. I still, it was, it was a bad, it was a bad, you, it was a bad injury. It was injury. like, you jumped in, onto the pavement? Yeah, I jumped wow. out. But I was so drunk that I went with the fall. Yeah, so your body's Yeah, it was, was intensed up, and I was able to, like, you oh know, not, God. you know, like, survive without breaking my neck or whatever. What did your friends say? Did they, they come back and get you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they like, circle, like... Yeah, I was out when the, but my friend but Richie... But the ambulance came and everything? Yeah, yeah, then we ended up in North Shore Hospital. Wow. Yeah, and I remember, like, they had to, like, literally, velt, uh, I mean, strap me, like, to the bed because mm -hmm. I was going nuts. Once I wow. came up out of it, my body still wanted more coke. Wow. And the kid I was with, they had me around the curtain. Mm -hmm. I was telling the doctor, I was screaming at him, yelling profanity. Where's Richie? Tell him I want the package. Wow. Get Richie. And he was literally right behind that curtain. Mm -hmm. So the doctor's like, um, Evan, he's looking for, are you Richie? <laughs> and then he says he wants the package. Wow. So he, and Richie like laughed. He was like, tell him, come here. You know, you don't want mm -hmm. to do it in front of the thing. So he, the doctor said, if I let you go with Richie, gonna, when you come back, you got to allow me to like strap, like tie you to the bed. Like mm -hmm. they had this thing around me because they weren't able to do like the stitches because uh, I was moving around was moving and going and nuts. Shit. Yeah. Oh my God. When you did a Bronx sale, did your parents save your money or did you just have access to all of it? No, they saved, they saved, okay. yeah, they saved a lot of it. But I did have access to, you know, like as, like later on, like mm -hmm. in my mid to late 20s, I pretty much had access to my money. After I jumped out of the car, that's when, you know, like I was mostly with the cocaine, but then this is how the opiates started. Because started. they were giving to me in the hospital, you know, in the doctor. And I was like, oh, wow, these things are good. And mm -hmm. then I started getting addicted. When you started opiates, did you kind of think that this might help your crack addiction? Because this is like... Takes me away from that and it doesn't... <laughs> I, thought, I remember I was like, this is great. This is going to get me off crack. Yeah. <laughs> I could go outside. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because of the pain and the suffering that we're used to from the crack use, mm -hmm. which is like the hard come downs and the shaking and the shivering, and you feel like your whole body's going to crash. Your heart's mm -hmm. like one big knot, and you got no liquor. Yeah. And you think, where can I get money right now? Can I, oh, shit, I owe him money. I can't ask him. And you're like. Yeah, going you, through every possible. Yeah, yeah, every little thing going in your pockets. Pennies. Maybe yeah. you've got a little piece left. <laughs> yeah. and you like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And then it's like, and then when you start with this stuff, it's like, I just did three pills. You three, yeah, you went to sleep. It was no come down. You felt I great. was able to eat. I went outside, I, talked I, to people. You're talking to people. Yeah, I'm social. Good. I wasn't like, well, I got to go hide in the room because I start mm -hmm. sweating and getting weird. You're right. This is, I think this is the cure. Yeah. I think I found the cure. And then you do it for like six, seven, eight, nine days in a row. And then because you're not an ad, you don't know that what, you don't know, yeah, the, what you don't know that you're entering the yeah. belly of the beast. It's like drinking the poison that doesn't kick in for like four or five months. Right. No, not even four or five months. Mm -hmm. For me, I didn't go without opiates for probably eight, nine months. 
So I didn't know what was going on until I didn't have it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Seven or eight days later, when I just didn't have any, because once I discovered that they were like, made you feel good, I started going through like my medicine cabinets in my house. Like my mm -hmm. dad would have some left over. There was jars on top of jars. Nobody wow. knew this was like yeah. a, a thing. Mm -hmm. So then I stole everything. My parents were, they would never look out for, they don't even know these no are idea bad. no what they were, yeah. My parents were old school. They, the doctor gives you tea, it's okay, it's medicine. Mm -hmm. Take it and you know, it's not gonna cause my just... son to one day climb through people's windows. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it does. Mm -hmm. So now I took all this stuff and then I ran out. And then one night, you know, the night that I ran out, I'm, I remember trying to sleep and I remember like wanting to crawl out of my, I feel like I wanted to like be out of my own body and crawl out of my own skin. Mm -hmm. Tossing, turning. Can't get comfortable. Can't get comfortable. You feel like you got the flu, yeah, exactly. sweating, Yeah, but you, high, got, you feel cold. like you got the flu, but it's something different. Yeah. Right? You know, it's not like, is this the flu? But mm -hmm. no, I don't got the... I don't got the body. What the hell is this? Yeah. And then somebody told me, yeah, you've been taking those things. It's you're, withdrawal. You're yeah. I was like, oh. And then you do like a quarter of one and you feel like back to life. Yeah. And that's when you realize that the hooks are in. Yep. You know, that's when you realize that, you know, you were baited and this is it. Because people used to talk about how bad opiates were. And I was like, dude, I already smoked crack. Like, this is nothing. You're right. And, it's um, a different kind of beast. Yeah. And when you're addicted to both of them at the same time. Like being an opiate addicted crackhead is a fucking full time job, you know, because you got to balance both of that shit out, you know. And it's very expensive. It's super expensive. Very expensive. It's just it was like for me, it was like five hundred dollar day habit almost. Yeah, I heard you say that before. Yeah, That's because crazy. you know what? Like I never shot dope. Mm -hmm. I used to snort it. So when you're snorting, you need more, especially mm -hmm. as your tolerance goes up. I was sniffing 20, 25 bags a day just to be straight, to yeah. be normal, and to be able to smoke the amount of crack that I had the appetite for. Because mm -hmm. crack doesn't stop, right? Yeah. Does that obsession ever stop? No. You, more and more and more and more and more and more. It's not like you ever get tired of it. It's a, it's a sickness. It's an obsession that just gets, that's like dedicated to killing mm -hmm. you. It's like, this is my whole, did you ever hear that song by Master of Puppets? Mm -hmm. By Metallica? No. It's called Master of Puppets by Metallica. Mm -hmm. It's about cocaine. Wow. Dedicated to how I'm killing you. Wow. Come crawling faster, obey your master. Master, wow. master of puppets, I'm pulling your strings, twisting your mind and smashing your dreams. Blinded by me, you can't see a thing. Just call my name because I hear you scream. Master. Master. Oh my God. Yeah. I have heard that song. Wow. Right. I didn't know it was about that. Yeah, yeah. It's, about, it's about cocaine. Wow. Metallica is the best heavy metal band. Yeah. There's like, there's no opinion or anything about that. That's the best. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think that, you know, like, I think I like the old Metallica, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. It's mm -hmm. like, no, nah, I mean, they were always, they, you could never say they were ever, but I just prefer the younger, more vintage Metallica. Metallica. Yeah, but that song, like, you know, I mean, I can just, Mm -hmm. Tell by talking and the things that you're saying, all the little subtle, the nuances of crack smoking mm -hmm. and this, you know what it is. And if you listen to that song, they say it in such an art, not an articulate, but an artistic, like an, yeah, an artistic, eloquent way. Yeah, that only, yeah, it's kind that of, only people only that drug are, addicts know. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that when you're a drug addict, you can only a drug addict can reach a drug addict. Right. And only like, you know, you can see kind of and our lingo and whatever. The first time I knew that I was going to get clean is I was at a meeting and this guy was sharing his story and he talked about uh, how he was addicted to crack for all these years. And I've heard people share their stories before. And he said the last time he smoked crack, the crack pipe was this big. And I was like, that's some inside crackhead knowledge. You know what I mean? And yeah, when, he yeah. said, when he talks about the crack pipe being that big, I was like, this guy's really a crackhead. Yeah, you know why? You know why the crack, well, you know, because... Because it gets so hot and so much of it breaks because mm -hmm. you're taking that hit and you got that flame on that glass to where you almost hear that. Yeah, yeah. you hear it crack. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. and it just pops. And then the boom, piece of glass and it gets on the smaller, floor. Smaller, yeah, and smaller. before you know it, you got electrical like tape on you're one You're cutting end. your lips because the, the, the pipe is so, so sharp and it's glass. Mm-hmm. But that fucking pipe, and it's so hot. It's so hot because it's so small. Yeah. Burning you because there's no, it's so hot because the flame was right near where you hit it. So now you're cutting your lip because it's broken glass. It's burning And your you're lip. also burning your lip because that pipe is scorching hot. Mm-hmm. But that hit and the way you crave it offsets and overpowers how much you're getting burnt mm-hmm. that you don't give a shit that I'll deal with that later. I used Let to, me put, just get I used this to put electrical tape on one end, smoke it, push it, take it off, take it to the other end. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, when I heard that, it was the first time in my life where I was like, wow, this guy really did use, like there was something so authentic about it that I just started listening to everything else he yeah, said. yeah. So I was like, if he's telling the truth about this, he's got to be telling the truth about the other stuff. Okay, let me ask you a question. What was the, you remember the stem, the glass Mm -hmm, stem? Of course. What was the thing, the standard thing used to scrape it? Tell me if you know. I would use a a coat hanger and push the chore all the way through. I don't like the chore boy. I used to like the screen. So The chore boy used to like. Where would you buy a screen? Do you like. At bodegas, they had screens? Yeah, they had them. They had crack pipe screens? Screens and everything with the lighter in the little brown paper. Yeah, like a crack kit. Yeah, Yeah. the lighter, the thing. I only smoked out of the chore boy. It would be a round screen. So what I used to do was take it, I'd roll it up and then snap it in half. Mm Mm-hmm. Put it in the pipe, and then I would put the pipe on a table, and then like with a screwdriver, I'd press it down till it's okay. like this. Yeah. There's you're not getting better hits through a screen than Troy Boy. No, through Troy Boy than you are through the screen. Probably. The screen was made. We for just that. didn't have screens. Yeah, you don't. But you don't like. You know what they used to use? Hmm. Like was this the standard thing? What piece from the umbrella? You know those things, the bridges yeah, that yeah, keep yeah, the yeah. umbrella. That because once you crack that off, mm-hmm. it's got the two because it was members like this. Yeah, it was so a perfect. Break yeah, to scrape it, scrape, and then you could push it out with it. It was like so nuts to mm-hmm. think an umbrella and parts of it mm-hmm. one day would be used, used to scrape in crack pipes, cracks pipe, and yeah. crack smoking. This one time, I took my glasses off and I straightened out the end of it to push it through. Yeah. Like, it's just like come what? on, bro. I see my friend Jimmy smoke. He used to smoke out of copper elbow pipes. He used to have the chore boy in there and blow it with a freaking. It was so nuts. He was the guy Ruba, the guy. Uh-huh. They found me. He would and he would use a like a torch, like a big, like a blow torch. Yeah, yeah. He used to, bro. This guy was I so to, nuts. I used to see people do. I'm like, bro, you're wasting it. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, because you burn it so yeah. fast. Yeah, it's like you touch it, it goes right to oil. You know, the last time I ever smoked crack was in high school in the bathroom out of a mechanical pencil. Wow. And it's like it was melting. Late night, this kid who who was sitting next to me in class, his name was Jude, he texted me. He's like, yo, I got shit. And I remember being like, fuck. I had no money, so I stole my mom's phone. To sell? To sell to the kids. I had no money. And he texted me like at 2 in the morning, like, yo, I'm bringing it to school tomorrow. So I remember being like, fuck. So in the morning, I'm like thinking about what I could trade and bargain with him. So I take my mom's phone. I remember getting on the bus and my mom being like, my phone, my telephone, who has my phone, who has my phone? And I was like, I don't know. And I like, I went on the bus. And bro, my mom like sells life insurance. She needs her phone, but I didn't care. Took the phone, gave it to the kid. He popped out his cell phone case back when you used to have a battery. He had it in the battery case. And his SIM and put it in that yeah, phone? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, he had the crack in his battery. In, in the thing. Yeah, in, yeah. in his phone. That's where he's the, the hide. The next cell battery, I, used to, I was able to, like, you peel it out, mm-hmm. and I was able to put two bags of heroin because they oh, fit there you flat. Go. And, and then boom. you put the battery in yeah, on top boom, of that? Slide it oh, right wow. in. I didn't have nothing to smoke. So I had to wait until I went to home ec in a couple hours. And then I took, like, some of the scrub pot pan shit, and then I put it in a fucking mechanical pencil, and I smoked it in the bathroom. It's crazy. With the security guard, 
with his foot on the outside door because they would walk you to the bathroom because I went to like a reform school for all the kids who get kicked out. And he was waiting for me while I was taking hits in the, in the bathroom. And that's the last time I ever smoked crack. Really? It's horrible. Wow, that's crazy. In, in Rikers Island, I started heroin and took morphine in there and I even overdosed mm -hmm. in, in November 2006, November 18, 2006, the last time I got high. You know, I used to see guys smoke crack in, in Rikers. You know what they used to, used to smoke? Mm. They used to use the chicken bone. They used to save the chicken bone. What? And smoke it off the chicken and through the chicken bone because it's hollow and put stuff and get cigarette wow. ashes and smoke, and it, smoke through it through the chicken I bone? I never thought, I don't know, for some reason, I was I had enough sense in Rikers Island. <laughs> Not to smoke crack. No, because I know it's like, how can I chase it? I'm in this friggin' place. At <laughs> least if crumbs. I was out there. Yeah, yeah but where am I going to go get more? Where am I going to go get, this is it. Once yeah. this is done, you're over. So I, now you're going to be in your cell. You got no liquor. You got nothing. You're shaking like a leaf. Yeah. You put yourself in this position. At least if you snort some dope, yeah, you're, you're good. But you're itching. Yeah. Whatever. Like, whatever, man. Mm -hmm. I don't give a shit. Hey, they just hit you for 15 more years. Ah, oh, it's okay. 15, not 20. <laughs> 15, it's okay. Not 20. It's okay. Come on, I'm watching the show. I'll uh -huh. talk to you a little bit. Yeah, it's crazy because, like, I deal with people that are trying to get clean a lot. Sometimes you have people on Suboxone, and people will be like, oh, well, you know, he's doing really good on Suboxone. I was like, bro, if I was on Suboxone, you could tell me my mom died. I would be like, oh, okay. Like, when you're high, you're high. You're not dealing with real life. See, that's you're, not a real opiate. It, it mimics. Numbs, but it numbs but, but, your emotions. But you're still, when people say I'm on Suboxone, I'm like, bro, you're not clean. No. You have yet to stand on your own two feet. For sure. It's it's a night and day difference. No, it's not. I don't care if it's, there's just something different about being clean compared to any, even if you like smoke a little bit weed, there's something different about being 100% clean that you just feel that it's not the same as being, not that it's better than, I'm not trying to judge. When you deal with life without anything, it's different. Right. And you know, it teaches you more of what you're capable as a human, mm -hmm. because there was nothing to take any edge off any situation we're through. You just toughed it out and you just weathered it. Yeah. As a human with nothing there, with just, you know, four walls and whatever senses you were given, mm -hmm. and you just did it. And you know, it may have been a little more difficult when it's all said and done, even though he got it a little easier, he doesn't have the same fulfillment that you have. Of course. Because it's like, yo, I did this without any of that, mm -hmm. and this is what it is now. And you know what? And, I, and every I, time you get stronger. And every time you get right. stronger. And, and that's this mm -hmm. affects this in here because the wiring starts. It's like, a, it's like now you've hired a new electrician. Mm -hmm. He's going to change all the wiring. You know what I mean? But you, you got to give it a chance. It's like you'll never see those things unless you break that habit right. The beginning is the hardest mm -hmm. because you have to see what it looks like on the other side without that. Yeah. And then that'll positively reinforce you to mm -hmm. say, damn, like that was pretty cool. Like I didn't get, go to, like, I used to miss opening day football. I used to yeah. come home on a Sunday morning, you know what I mean, and be up. I know? didn't even know what month it was when I was using. Yeah, it's disgusting, man. I used to be so depressed. I remember one time, this was like in the late 90s, I remember, Giants played the Washington Redskins. It was the opening game of football. And I remember the I don't know, you, you follow football? No, no, no. There was a uh, quarterback. Mm -hmm. Quarterback, people know, football fans, his name is Gus Ferrat. F-R-E-R-O-T. Gus Ferrat. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing his name. And I remember I stayed in bed all night. It was still fall. It was one of those hot, you know, Sundays in like October where yeah. it was still like 75 during the day. Chilly at night, but it was one of those days. Days that make you literally want to shoot yourself yep. in the head mm -hmm. when you're coming down and like, damn, I'm missing football. My Everybody's over downstairs right now. They're having Sunday dinner, yep. pasta, I smell it. People are laughing and laughing joking and look, you and know, whatever. I could imagine all the talk about football 
and this, that, and then blah, blah, blah. And here I am, and this is what my life has been reduced to because of a lack of self-control in this area. Something that I thought would never, ever happen to me. Mm. And it's happening right in front of my eyes where if, you know, it's a disease, like people that have a disease like cancer, they can't control that. It's going to mm-hmm. be what happens. But this is why I think it's not a disease. We can control it. But then at the same time, we can't. Mm-hmm. You can, but you can't. Well, even with the disease, you can't control cancer, but there are things that you can do to be undetectable, to be in remission or whatever. It's different though, brother. <laughs> Come on, bro. The crack's right in front of you. Just say no. How hard is that? Can a guy who has fourth stage pancreatic cancer say, no, I say no to fourth pancreatic cancer no, and no, it goes but away? but somebody with diabetes can say no to certain sweets and stuff like that. Right, that's, that's a little different. It's like, you know, there's a lifestyle, but I do believe that we have an allergy. We have an allergy to drugs that when you and I do a drug that we do have a compulsion that comes after that some people don't. No. Yeah, I know. Some guys, it's like Sunday. They're like, no, they got a day ahead of them (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we're figuring out how to get more money. But so the way that I see is the allergy is part of the disease. We could call it something else. The illness whatever personality trait the, the spiritual disorder the spiritual disorder and the other part is the spiritual void you know and the other part is the mental obsession because you know i'm sure that a lot of people told you hey just stop when you were using and you were like dude if i could just fucking stop you don't think i would have fucking exactly stopped. you think that i wanted to go from where i was to where i am yeah you think i voluntarily did that and intentionally did that well if you didn't then who did right This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.